0: We trust each other enough to know that, you know, like a song like "Show Yourself," which wasn't my favorite. I avoided that that group of riffs for almost the entirety of the writing process. I just was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I don't want to play that. I don't want to be that band. I don't want to do that." You know, but when the when I, when I when we laid down some vocal stuff over it, I was like, "Actually, that's really undeniably catchy." And ninety three X presents the Celebration Rock Podcast.
1: This is the Celebration Rock Podcast, presented by 93XFM here in Minneapolis. I'm your host, Stephen Hayden. So, guys, this is a special bonus episode this week. We've been doubling up a lot of weeks lately. We had that Pearl Jam series, and like I wanted to sort of blow through that fairly quickly because uh, we had seven episodes to get through Um and uh, as much fun as I had delving into Pearl Jam, I didn't want to spend two months on Pearl Jam. So we doubled up. Uh, but now we're done with that series, but we have a bunch of content that we've been storing up while we were doing the Pearl Jam series, a bunch of great interviews um, that I didn't want to hold on to for too long, you know, lest they get kind of moldy. So we're doubling up this week again. And the interview that we have this week, I'm, I had a really good time doing. It was with Brand Daler of Mastodon and you know Mastodon they put out their latest record at the end of March it's called Emperor of Sand and yeah I don't know if you've listened to Mastodon I'm sure if you've clicked on this podcast you there's a good chance you're a fan but maybe you're just sort of wandering into this podcast a, a babe in the woods curious about Mastodon you know probably that they're a metal band from Atlanta, Georgia you know that most of the members of the band have a lot of facial hair that they actually kind of look like real Mastodons <laughs> you know but you know metal even a, a fairly mainstream metal band like Mastodon I mean it tends to be sort of segregated away from the rest of music even from the way from, from the rest of rock music But I really think that Mastodon is a band. It's the kind of band that people claim doesn't exist anymore. Like when they talk about rock bands, how they talk about there's no such thing as like a great hard rock mainstream band that just makes, you know, hard hitting jams. You know, jams that you can play in the car after leaving work on Friday. Jams that you want to play in your garage while you're, hitting stuff and drinking beer, like that kind of music. People always talk about how those bands don't exist. But when they say that, I always say, wait a minute, aren't you listening to Mastodon? Because Mastodon is carrying on that tradition. Carrying on that tradition of all the great 70s bands, all the great 80s bands, all the great 90s bands. You know, this is the band that Metallica was... In the 80s and 90s you know Metallica is still around of course, but you know this is sort of like a younger version of what Metallica was. Um, they're a more sort of prolific version of Queens of the Stone Age. You know that's what they've kind of evolved into over time. And in terms of American bands, I would argue that Mastodon belongs on a very short list of like the most consistently great bands of the 21st century. I mean just to go over their history quickly, Mastodon forms in 2000. They put out their first record in 2002. It's called Remission. In 2004, they put out a record called Leviathan, which is this sort of concept record based on Moby Dick, which you would think would be a record that the Decemberists would make, <laughs> okay? But on Leviathan, you have this Moby Dick concept, and all the songs are just pedal to the metal, scream your head off ragers, just incredible riffs, intense vocals. Um, just a fantastic rock record And that's the record that sort of Breaks them into the mainstream You know, serious metalheads Latch on Macedon As being sort of the band of the moment at that time And then the next record Is a, bl- a record called Blood Mountain And that's actually the first record that I got into Because I remember the first song On that record is It starts off with this insane Drum fill Played by Braun Daler, our guest today Um Where it just sounds like a prog rock beat in the middle of like the most intense hard rock metal anthem ever. Um, Just incredible musicianship and yet also hooks at the same time. Um, And by the time of Blood Mountain and then going into Crack the Sky, their next record in 2009 you can hear a pop sensibility start starting to come into the band, by which time you reach records like 2011's The Hunter, and then the next record, Once More Around the Sun, which comes out in 2014, which are essentially just straight-up great rock records. Like, at this point, the sort of prog rock aspects of Mastodon's sound, the sort of more straightforward metal aspects of their sound, those have been kind of pushed aside a little bit for a more sort of pop-friendly like I said, almost like a Queens of the Stone Age type sound. And, of course, there were metalheads who didn't like that, but I love Queens of the Stone Age, and Queens of the Stone Age doesn't make many records, so a band that kind of rose up to fill that void um, was a big deal for me. Um, But now you have the new record, Emperor of Sand, and it really is one of those records where you can hear Mastodon taking the lessons that they've learned about songwriting and, you know, sort of improving their vocals, you know, those things that have happened over the last couple records, and yet applying that to the sort of concept records that they were making in the 2000s, like Leviathan and Crack the Sky. So the result is an album that I think really offers every aspect of what Mastodon does well in one package. So if you are a listener who... Maybe he doesn't know Mastodon very well. Like, you know the name. You know the facial hair. (laughs) You know that they're a metal band. But you've never really listened to them. I think Emperor of Sand could actually be a good entry point for you. Um, I also think that this interview will get you into the band. Because Braun, You know, I interviewed him once before when I was working at Grantland. And that interview wasn't that great, I have to say. Not so much because of Braun. It was one of those situations like where a record company, for some reason, decided to book an interview, even though they hadn't sent me a, a promo of the record. <laughs> so I had to do this interview with him, and it was about once more around the sun. I hadn't heard the record. So our interview was pretty generic and bland for that reason. Thankfully, this time, I did get a chance to hear the record. And I really liked it. I had a lot of questions about it. And Braun was ready to talk. And he was a very thoughtful guy, not only just about this record, but about the history of the band um, and, and, and what they do. You know, Because what Mastodon does, it, it's not just party music. It's not the sort of standard metal fare, the kind of things that you hear a lot of metal bands do. There's a real emotional element to what they do, a real personal element. You know, They have these sort of outrageous concepts, but it's always rooted in real life. And, uh, and often real life tragedy. And, uh, that's something that Braun talks about in this interview. So I think it turned out great. I'm glad that he was able to do it. Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this bonus episode of Celebration Rock. Here's my interview with Braun Daler. So I want to begin by talking about sort of the unique position that Mastodon is in. I mean, cause you guys have been a band now for 17 years, which is a long time for a band to be together, uh, you're about to put out your seventh record in fifteen years, so basically a record almost every other year and all of those records have at, at, have at the very least been very good, and many of them have been excellent so you 've been a very consistent band for a long time and you know, i'm always curious about how bands work you know it, because you know every band is different and yet there's also Things that become cliches about bands, you know, so th- th- there are certain things that seem universal. Like, wh- what is the, like, how does your band work? And how has it worked so well for so long?
0: Uh, passive aggressiveness. We're <laughs> um, <laughs> browbeaten, battered housewives. No. Uh, let's see. We, uh, I don't know. We, I guess we, we, you know, kind of, I guess, respect and, and care about each other genuinely and have a genuine, long-lasting friendship. And, and uh, we really don't argue very often, you know, which, is, which helps. And I think that uh, a number of us kind of know when it's time to go to bed, per se, you know. <laughs> um, start to see the devil come out in certain people at a certain hour, and you say, oh, time for bed. And, uh, you know, know when to fold them that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. We're just really, we, we, we love, we love our, our band. We love Mastodon, you know, collectively and, and want to see it do as, as, as well as it can do. And, and are always kind of excited to see what else we have, have in the tank as far as, uh, song ideas or, or riffs and, and, uh, and songs, you know, we just really, uh, we love our little, our little baby, our little project we've been working on for so long. And, uh, I also really enjoy kind of looking around at the other members of the band and, and knowing that, you know, each one of us has been there since day one. And, you know, we slept on those cat piss infested floors and, and ate bologna sandwiches for two months. And, you know, in the van days, playing in people's basements and BFW halls. And it's just really, it's, it's a fun thing to be able to look uh, at the other three members and, and know that we all did we all built this together as a family. And uh, as far as like how the, the songwriting process is concerned and, and how we, how we do that, uh, it, it, it kind of, it fluctuates from album to album and, and, you know, you might go through an album cycle and, uh, you know, play for a year and a half straight, play the stuff from the, this previous album and, and whatever uh, songs you have, put that set and then when it it all comes to a close when you close out your album cycle uh, you know we always say to each other oh we're going to take some time especially after albums like you know five and six and you you start it's been a while and we've been out there on tour kind of hammering away at it for a long long time and there seems to be towards the end of every album cycle this desire to take some kind of extended break whether it be like a year or something everyone's kind of feeling burnt out you know it's it's pretty natural to feel that way after a year and a half of of constantly going at it uh playing shows and stuff but uh it's, it all seems to be a, that kind of changes after a couple months you know you, you get rested you're relaxed you are been hanging out at home and i don't know you just you just start getting ideas and, and luckily over the past you know 17 years that's just been the case you know we we want we desire each other's company we want to get together and jam we got ideas that might be different people on different albums you know what i mean like um you know this this particular album just happened to maybe be bill and i get it, start to get together uh ahead of everyone else a little bit you know uh, troy was dealing with some really heavy stuff down in uh, uh with his wife and and um and so he was kind of doing his thing and we had talked to him and we said hey you know we got a lot of we got a lot of music to we need to sift through, we're just going to go ahead and start, you know, and whenever you're able to join us is, will be awesome. And, you know, Troy trusts us and trusts our ears and, you know, we send him stuff as well during that process. So, Hey, this is what we're, we're digging on, you know? Um, so it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And, you know, we just really, it's, it's, uh, it's that 14 year old kid, you know, that goes in the basement with his friends and, and just, Simply plays what what they all collectively like together, and it all just really comes down to taste of the other members of the band, and and what you're all able to come to a consensus as to, hey, we this is what we like, you know, and oh, our yeah. divining rod that's mastodon. on, we just kind of follow it around, and and uh, if if we have those magical moments in the rehearsal space when we're jamming those things together, or or um, you know, then then we 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 stick with whatever that is, yeah. whether it, even if it doesn't really fall within the parameters of what we're supposed to be or what people are expecting from us or what people might want, you know, we, we sort of sidestep all that. Cause I don't, you not know, I don't feel it's really healthy to examine that too much. I mean, I, you know, I, me personally, I'm a definitely like a people pleaser and I get real anxious and, uh, you know, I, I I feel like I don't want to let anybody down. You know, and I don't want to let our fans down. And you know, but in the same respect, I I don't really want to let myself down. So I think that you know, we ourselves are our harshest critics. You know, and we're gonna examine everything and and say, is this really what we want to do, or is this is this really speaking to us? You know, and uh, and so everything that we put out is 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 definitely poured over. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not just put out, you know, for the sake of you know, monetary reasons or anything like that. It's definitely something that we are deeply emotionally attached to. And, uh, and you know, that's our little baby. So, you know, if yeah. anybody says anything bad about it, we get really mad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you you said earlier that how, talking about how Emperor of Sand, it started with you and Bill working together. Uh, you know, th- th- that was kind of the core at the beginning. And you, you mentioned how that process is different for each record. I mean, do you guys tend to pair off at the start of each record, or is it like does does, does the idea sometimes start with one person? I mean, the, how is that varied well, over the years?
0: Well, one of the things I really like about our band is the is the the fact that Bill and Brent are very different guitar players, and they I think that that's kind of a, a, a little bit of a magic potion, you know, when those when those two things come together that are vastly different, uh, but Having said that, they, it takes a while for Brent's riffs to get into Bill's hands and for Bill's riffs to get into Brent's hands. So it's a little bit easier for me to pair off with the guitar players and write stuff with Brent and then write stuff with Bill kind of separately and then bring it all together. And then, you know, you might have, and, I, and you know, I really firmly believe that it, it's definitely not a Macedon song until until you get everybody playing on it, you know, and I, and I, and I mean that with, like, Brent's version of what a Bill riff would be him playing that over top of it. It's, I think it's much more interesting to have everybody's take on it, you know what I mean? And, and then uh, have the vice versa, you know, Bill's, Bill's uh, version of a Brent riff, you know, or just play something different uh, against it, you know, and, and then combine forces for some songs where, you know, you you know you got, you got a couple riffs that are stragglers. We call them homeless riffs. You know, we drag them out and say, okay, what about these guys? Do they got a home yet? You know, like uh, I say, the first song, uh, Sultan's Curse, that first riff that you hear on the album has been sitting around since the Leviathan days, and we just really didn't know what to do with it. You know, we just, uh, everybody liked it. We we're like, yeah, that's a killer riff. We like it. But, uh, you know, it, it. I guess this time around, it, it, it worked, and, and we had some other parts to go along with it, and, you know, you get three or four parts going that sound good together, and and You're like, oh, yeah, we're on to, you know you're on to something basically and and you kind of keep pushing uh you know in a little over time, you know you just really come it comes down to putting the work in you know you just gotta go down there and confront these things and and say, okay what's uh what do we got for this guy you know and sometimes those are some frustrating moments, you know you kind of feel like you're banging your head up against the wall and and, and treading water because you're you can't find. Uh, you can't find any friends for that riff, you know. And, but but you really like it, you know. And everybody really likes that riff. We're like, man, that's awesome. And then it kind of just fizzles because you're like, oh, man, I don't, I don't have any ideas for that afterwards. But then uh, you know, you get the, the light bulb goes off and you go, oh yeah, you know that. <laughs> so um, you know, and then the, the, then that riff has a home. Now that riff has a home forever.
1: And I yeah. mean, is that process always smooth? I mean, the way you're talking about it, it seems like you guys are pretty. You know, well-oiled unit in terms of your relationships and how you deal with each other. But have there ever been times in the past where things were more tense or it was tougher to work through those type of creative issues? Oh yeah,
0: for sure. And there's there's always going to be little petty arguments, uh, especially when it comes to saying goodbye to riffs or <laughs> saying goodbye to parts that you were married to. You know, and you kind of felt like, yeah, I got it. And you go in and you play, and everyone's like, nah, damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, but if somebody in the band is really like, no, it's just, you know, if, you, if they haven't been able to realize it, if it hasn't been realized the way that they heard it, maybe in their sleep or wherever wherever it manifested itself in their where, where they're really passionate about it, then it's worth, you know, I feel like it's worth everybody's time to sort of get after it and, and really push for it, you know what I mean? Because we trust each other enough to know that, you know like a song like show yourself which wasn't my favorite i i i avoided those that sec- that group of riffs for almost the entirety of the writing process i just was like yeah 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 i don't want to play that i don't want to be that band i don't want to do that you know but when the when uh when i when we laid down some vocal stuff over it i was like actually that's really undeniably catchy and uh and it it works well juxtaposed against the rest of the album because everything is so dense and there's a lot going on. Right. And then you have this kind of bright spot, and I was able to sort of fit it into the story as a, you know, this um, the main character kind of in the middle of his mania, kind of finding a a, a mirage or some kind of oasis, and almost like a. A splashy puddle of a song, you know. Yeah, well, and you so, talk.
1: I mean, I was just gonna say yeah. you you talked earlier about how you're a people pleaser. I mean, was your resistance your resistance to show yourself, was that some sort of like twisted thing about like not wanting to like alienate like the hardcore metal people in a way? Because that is such a, like a great kind of pop rock song on the record.
0: Yeah, it's super poppy, and yeah, that that's like a yeah, that's a uh, uh, I guess a little not even a fear of what people might think because. You know obviously, obviously we're not really that scared of that, because yeah. uh you know uh we've put a lot of things out that um have made people mad, you know, so that's <laughs> right. fine, you know I mean, I don't know, you know I, just, I wanna be everybody's everything, but it's impossible, so you know it'd have to just be the four of us, we just have to make make each other happy, and that's that's hard sometimes too, you know. But, uh, and uh, you know, there's a lot of like looking in the mirror, you know, and just trying to, and trying to have these honest moments with yourself, like what's this for or what am I doing? Or, you know, it's just like, uh, um, is this really great? Is this, is this what we want to do? And, and show yourself was kind of one of those moments for me where I was like, I was thinking, yeah, I don't know that I want to do this, you know? Um. I don't want to, maybe I don't want to be this poppy, maybe we don't want to be this poppy on this record, you know, because of the last couple of records have had that. So I was like, I really kind of wanted to distance myself from that or, or say, let's get real proggy, you know? <laughs> and uh, But, but you can't, you can, you can talk all day about what you want something to sound like, or what you want to achieve on your next album. You know what I mean? When you're, when you're going into writing, but really it, you don't have as much control as you think. I, I you know, and, and, and I don't really want that much control, and I don't really want preconceived notions of what something's going to sound like when you get in there, because that takes some of the surprises out of it.
1: Right. And if
0: you kind of buck and and try to go against what naturally is, is coming out, then that's being dishonest as well. You know, so, uh, you know, everybody was grooving to show yourself, and it was like, yeah, it's kind of dancy. it's kind of fun yeah let's do
1: that (laughs) i mean i'm wondering like when you were a kid were you ever that guy that like metal purist who would get mad if like his favorite band was like a little too poppy like were you ever that 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 sort of guy out there
0: no definitely not 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 at all i never uh you know but when when the black album came out for that example you know i did i had sort of not that I had abandoned Metallica, but I, at that at that point in time, I wasn't really listening to m- much like Metallica. You know, I had kind of moved on to some other things. Even though I think that the Black Album is a really fantastic album, and I love Metallica, but but at that point in time, Mr. Bungle had just come out, <laughs> and and Death had put out this record called Human, yeah. and with those things combined, that's kind of where I was heading you know and i was wanting to listen to something a little more far out you know that's kind of led me back around to frank zappa and early genesis and kim crimson and, and then in the very early 90s i had started my own band called lethargy that was really super techy and and more like uh in the vein of all that those kind of things combined you know like cynic and gore guts and atheist and all this uh weird stuff that and also with all the john zorn stuff buckethead i I had discovered Naked City was out. It um, was all this crazy music, you know, Mel Banana, and uh, just you know, on and on and on with all this really acid trippy, crazy music. With uh, which was wonderful and fantastic, and I think you know, really just was a big eye opener. So uh, I don't know. By the time everybody's favorite metal band had quote unquote sold out, you know, with, uh, and everybody was crying over the black album. I had really already moved on to much weirder stuff, you know? Like, like, um, like, but you... back before then, I don't even remember. I don't remember being a young 13 or 14 and, and ever really feeling like that about, about any, any bands that I was into, you know, I, I just, uh, kind of accepted everything at face value. and, and was like, yeah, that's cool, you know. For a few years, everything had to be thrash, you know. <laughs> right. uh, when I was maybe 13, 14, it just—if it was thrash, it was awesome, you know. I mean, just every <laughs> anything—if it was had came with the thrash moniker I was I was in, and I was going to go see it at this club called Backstreets in Rochester, New York. Went to every single show I could go to. Uh, you know, but in with all that was like Primus was coming out and Jane's Addiction and and uh, all this other kind of stuff, and I liked all that too, you know. And I really loved King Diamond, you know. That was my favorite band was King Diamond, you know. And I was kind of alone at my school, you know, and all my friends, all my friends were they just didn't like his voice, you know. But it was really it really spoke to me, so I was definitely used to kind of liking liking some stuff that, that other people didn't, which was fine, you know, because. In Rochester, New York, upstate New York, it is, is, uh, kind of, was a kind of a small scene in a small town and everybody was unified, you know, uh, the punkers and metalheads and alternativo types. Uh, everybody was, everybody all went to the same shows, you know, it was just, it was too small of a scene not to all band together, but uh, yeah.
1: And were you playing know. at that time already? Like when you were 13, 14, like were you playing in bands?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I started playing drums when I was like three or four years old. You know, my my uh uncle played the drums in my grandfather's band. They were called Simmon Road and they did uh mostly covers I think, but my Aunt Sharon played the bass and sang and then my grandmother played bass and like did jazz standards, take the A train A train, that kind of stuff, Billy Holiday. And then uh, the girl from Epenem goes walking, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um And my mom was in a band as well when I was a kid. My my mom's boyfriend was the drummer, and the drums were set up in the living room, and they practiced just about every single night, and they played Judas Priest covers, Black Sabbath. so um, And everything that was popular at that time, That was like rock and hard rock, you know, Boston Journey, all that good stuff sticks. So um, a lot of music going on at my house all the time. I always played the drums, but... It took a while for other kids in my school or my class to pick up an instrument. So I didn't really start jamming with anybody until I hit my teens, you know, or like maybe 12 or 13. That's when kids started to get dropped off over at my house. And we'd go down to the basement and and, uh, butcher uh, some Metallica tunes, you know. (laughs) What do you know? You know, know, for whom the bell tolls, you know.
1: And like, were you already like writing lyrics at that time too, or when did that start for you?
0: Lyrics, uh, I think probably around, probably around fourteen or so. Started maybe maybe doing some lyrics, and I was singing as well. I was I, my first gig I ever played was I was the lead singer, and I hated it. But my buddy Jeff played the drums as well, and he was kind of hung around with us, and so. And no one could sing. I was the only person that could sing. So, and I, they're like, you got the blonde hair, the long blonde hair. Like Vince Neil, you should be out there in the front, man. And so, <laughs> I did it. You know, I did it. I sold out so we could get a gig at, at, uh, horizon skates. Uh, so we played this skating rink and it was, you know, pretty awesome, but I didn't want to be the front man. I was like, I don't, I feel weird. I don't know what to do with my hands. I'm walking around. I'm, I'm, I feel like an idiot. And, uh. So as soon as I could, we broke that band up, and and I started playing more thrash stuff. And that, that had a lot of people, a lot of kids coming over my house with with guitars, and and we'd just be down there. And that's when I started writing with other people, my own music, you know. You. But uh, but. Uh, So yeah, yeah, that's kind of when it where it, where it uh, started for me musically.
1: And like you know, like when we talk about like like drummers who write lyrics, I mean the, the the person's name comes to mind immediately is Neil Peart of Rush. Like, was he like an influence on you at all, as a writer or as a drummer?
0: No, I wouldn't say a writer because I, I didn't find out that he was one of the lyricist or the lyricist for the band until. But I think an influence recently, maybe over the, over the last twenty years, uh, he. He's been more of an influence lyrically. And just, just, just knowing that he was doing that. You know what I mean? So, I mean drummers kinda of come with this a, a stigma, you know, that they're <laughs> not the brightest candle on the cake and uh right. you know, uh uh what's the last thing the drummer said before he got fired from the band? Hey, I have an idea for a song you know, <laughs> stuff like that. Uh is always funny, but uh, you know hey you know, drummers are people too, and we have ideas. You <laughs> know, we have uh, but yeah, so, but, but drum wise, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was, that was everybody's guy back in the early eighties. And, and, and that was definitely my, my mom's boyfriend, a guy, he lived with us for years. So it was pretty much my stepdad, but, uh, he had a huge drum kit. It was very reminiscent of Neil Peart. And they did probably three or four Rush covers Yeah, in their set. So it was definitely, uh, you know, his drumming was a, a, a huge influence. Um, him and Phil Collins was definitely a, a big influence as well, some right. wise. And, and then seeing that he was doing a lot of singing as well was, uh, was you know, when, in 2009 when we did Crack the Sky and I had sang that one thing for Oblivion, and Brent was like, You got to do that live. You got to do that live. I was like, No, I kind of don't want to open that can of worms, you know, because <laughs> it's hard. It's like singing on an elliptical machine or something. But, um, you know, I'm get. I feel like I'm getting better at it, and I've been practicing. And you know, I warm up as much as I can, and try to make sure that I get as close as I can to the renditions that are on the albums. Yeah, you
1: know, kind of getting back to the like to the to lyric writing. I mean, you know, Emperor of the Sun, uh, of Upper uh, you know, of Sand. I mean, it's the uh, it's another concept record for you guys after a couple records of not doing concept records. I mean, have you like when you were just kind of young and like writing lyrics. Did you always kind of think in those sort of like in terms of like, of like a grand concept or like kind of unifying songs under like one story? I mean, because that's a pretty ambitious way to write records. Like, I guess what was your influence on in that? I don't regard? think so.
0: Not when I was young, and I don't consider myself a writer, you know. I just only write when it's time to write lyrics and, and, and begrudgingly, you know. Uh, but um, I definitely. I definitely can write better. I feel like I'm a better writer if I have, like, a a story, an arcing theme, you know, an overarching theme that ties everything together. I feel like I I can do a much better job if I'm watching this sort of, like, a movie play out in my head and then I kind of comment on whatever that movie is and try to, uh, you know, in each song, try to get a vibe from whatever the song is and then... um, And whatever the riffs are are doing, whatever the music is doing, and then try to see this little movie play out and then write accordingly, you know. And I didn't really start doing that until, uh, I guess, uh, Leviathan was really our first kind of, you know, dipping our toes into the realms of concept albums. And and, and at the time, we were all in in the van and we were listening to a lot of um, concept albums. You know, so it was on everyone's mind.
1: Like which albums? Two of
0: those. Just, you know, a lot of Genesis, Slamlines Down on Broadway was like a big one that we were listening to pretty nonstop in the van. Um, I guess Yes, Close to the Edge, King Diamonds, Them. Uh, you know, Pink Floyd, all the Pink Floyd stuff and The Wall. And, and just, you know, just uh, we thought I would just add another layer I was, you know, coming home from getting married and my, my honeymoon, and, and I was—I bought a copy of Moby Dick at the at the bookshop at the Hawaiian airport, and I read it. I had like a 35-hour flight with a bunch of layovers, and, and you know, I pretty much read the whole thing on the way there. And I, I just, by the time I got to the UK to hook up with the other guys to start tour, I was had my whole sales pitch worked out. You know, <laughs> guys, gotta do this. Lobby Dick. So I'm perfect. It just made sense like uh uh thematically but more so aesthetically really, you know, was like we can tie all this uh, with the M with the harpoons crossed and the white whale and just just I drew all these parallels between us and and uh and the book.
1: And and again, is that how it normally works then? Like you kind of have this great idea, like, oh it'd be cool to make a record about this and then it's like about writing songs around that idea.
0: No, the songs are, are everything. Kind of works in tandem, you know. We'd be writing music, and and the and the idea starts to kind of form, you know. Because we're a music first band, for sure. You know, pretty much every single song is is worked out musically, and then we start to shoehorn vocals over top of it where we think that we could sing over. You know, can we sing over this part? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then that brings everything into focus from there so it's kind of backwards you know but uh we're we're musicians first three reluctant singers as i've said in the past but uh uh, so first and foremost each one of us that's singing thinks of ourselves as that musician first you know yeah and uh and they're like oh we gotta sing over some of this stuff okay cool yeah but i feel like this record uh, Emperor is, you know, we we took a lot of time with the vocals, you know, and we, we spent a lot of time in Bill's basement in his, in his studio and, and just played around with stuff. So I feel like we're more prepared this time vocally than we ever have been.
1: Yeah, I heard that you guys actually took singing lessons for this record.
0: We took singing lessons a while ago, uh, and, you know, not in depth, just like one or two lessons and just to learn some warm-up techniques and where we were at, you know, and, and get some, just get some tips, really. You know what I mean? I mean, for live especially. I think going gotta look at it ourselves. And uh, again, it's good to have a mirror on hand. But what's the weakest point of our band? The vocals. Okay, let's work on it. You know, let's uh, let's do ourselves some favors and, and and learn how to do this properly and take care of our voices because we take care of our instruments and we and we're always playing and practicing those. You know, we should we should treat our vocals as such and uh i think it helped you know
1: yeah oh yeah definitely i mean i feel like the last three records in particular there's been like you know progression in that regard on each record
0: yeah i think so i mean and it might be one of the, the things that that certain fans really don't like you know <laughs> that, that we're that we're leaning heavily on vocals and and looking for these big choruses and looking for these big hooks but man i'm telling you these the uh, like with a lot of the writing that goes on, some of these hooks are just undeniable, and and I feel like once they present themselves, these big, fat, meaty hooks—how are you going to deny them? You know, well, you got to take a bite. And I think I, I feel like you know, it's it's it'd be oh no, let's not do that. It's too catchy. Let's do something that's less. Let's just let's just yell over it, and then and I feel like that's it's much harder to find something that's going to be. Memorable and hooky that, that's going to connect with people, and I feel like that's what we're doing That's what we're trying to do in the first place with writing this music and playing it for people is trying to build this connection so I don't know it seems obvious to me once you find that hook to really go for it you know well,
1: it's also the also the idea of dynamics you know like I think of that song "Roots Remain" on the new record where that song itself is like this mini epic and there's like different sections and there's like different voices in that song. Like there's that evil voice at the end that is like totally haunting and it's juxtaposed against the sort of more beautiful voice. That That's you singing on that song, right? Did you sing on Roots Remain. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. the kind of like, there's the more beautiful vocals on there and then there's the sort of evil sounding voice at the end. There's It's actually like a really good juxtaposition of the vocals on that
0: song. Yeah, i I, I like that a lot. Uh, it's, one, it's actually one of my favorite moments on the whole album is when that evil voice comes in, uh, that sort of, yeah, I love that. It's like uh, the chilling, it's, uh, it's just
1: like, oh man, like your blood turns cold when that part comes out.
0: Yeah. I like that. It's kind of death greeting you. Like, yeah, totally. Come on, let's go. It's okay, but <laughs> maybe it's not. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was one of the little, I don't know, Bill had a little arpeggiated riff and I was like, just, just, just like loop that. And I want to try something sort of trying, trying my hardest to channel my inner David Bowie. Yeah. I think it was pretty soon after his, his death. And, and, uh, I'm, I've been a huge David Bowie fan since I was a kid. And, and, uh, um, you know, I just absolutely fell in love with that black star record. And, uh, and, and then it just, it just, it just, uh, Made me dig deep into his catalog again. I always have him around, you know, but when he died, you know, it, 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 it was that reminder like, oh, this, this all this beautiful music, this absolutely beautiful artist gave to the world, and, and let's just celebrate that. So, um, with his passing, and so I was listening to a lot of David Bowie. And uh, so hopefully that informed that part and hopefully did it some little bit of justice. But also, I, you know, it was, there was just a lot of cancer and death going on around us, and
1: yeah. I, just,
0: I just, I felt like this, uh, this, almost like a little goodbye letter, you know, if I was to ever pen one, that was real simple, sweet, you know, uh, it's almost like a deathbed type of, cinematically, like, it, like I told you, like if you're writing, while I'm writing the, the lyrics or something, you know, I get a little movie plays in my head, this is definitely like this little deathbed scenario where my wife is like, knelt down very like uh uh kind of a little bit of an ego trip going on there as well (laughs) (laughs) well you know oh my god you're gonna miss me so much when i'm gone (laughs) i'm so great
1: (laughs) just a quick digression here like what's your favorite bowie record
0: oh man that's tough you know uh i really you know I mean, I like the ones everybody likes, really, you know. Uh, I mean, I love Black Star. It's one of my favorites, to be honest. And I, I was pretty blown away by it when it came out. I got it the day it came out. And then a couple of days later, he passed away. And I was like, shit, I was going to be able to see him again. But uh, I really like, uh, you know, Ziggy Stardust. is. Uh, there's like the, the Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust and uh, Aladdin Sane. Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane, both of those, like, are, to me, are like one album, kind of like... Uh, Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind, and Power Slave. I treat them as like one thing and twist them all the way through. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, I'd say those two. Those two are. I had like two cassette tapes. I was homeless for for a little while in, in Rochester, and, and I just had my little Walkman, and I had two tapes, and it was those two tapes. I had the I had a, a Aladdin Sane and and, a, and a Ziggy Stardust, and p- pretty much at any moment during the day, I just had those going in my ears. So I, I know those ones like like that's, you know, back of my hand. And, you know, just the, the, the opening, the opening drums to, uh, five years is just such a, a warm blanket, just like Stevie wonders intervisions, the, the opening sequence, the two highs, just warms your soul. Just, just as much as, uh, as, uh, the beginning notes of Slayer's rain and blood, you know, uh, very, very, very similar feeling. It gives me, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's grandma's meatloaf of, of music.
1: You said you were homeless for a while. Was that when you were, like, a, were you, like, a teenager then? Like, how old were you when that...
0: Yeah, I think out? I was, like, 17, maybe 16 or 17.
1: And, like, what were the circumstances of that?
0: Just, you know, some... some it, it just, uh, basically... I, uh things got, things weren't good for a little while. You know, uh, my sister committed suicide when I was 15 or so. And then I moved to my, my mom, uh, was hospitalized for a while. And I, I went into or I was in the mental war for a little while. And then I came out and I moved in with my dad for a while in New York city, but then I had to go back up to Rochester to sort of take care of things with my mom when she got out. And then, uh, um, you know, things just didn't totally work out and I just ended up uh on the street for a little bit, but not too long. Yeah. Um uh you know, but I was a kid, you know, and I was running around and I had a job, but I had a night shift job at a mini mart. so I was kinda it was okay, you know. I just was sleep depraved a lot, you know, but and I was kinda hanging out and I I moved into an apartment but we got evicted like two weeks later because there was guys shooting up on the porch, and it was like a duplex, and there was there's, there's a family next door, and they're like, oh my God, there was a whole, it was a flop house, and you know, there was a lot of people staying there oh, at the man. same time, and, and it wasn't cool to shoot up on the front porch, even though it was summertime, and it was nice out, <laughs> you know, do that shit inside, people.
1: Right, have some decorum. <laughs> so we
0: got evic- we got evicted, and I had a job, and it was down in that area, so I just ended up kind of sleeping in, in the park and stuff like that, it was okay, it wasn't too bad.
1: Yeah, you, know, you said earlier talking about uh, Emperor Sand being informed by like a lot of the you know a lot of things that were happening in the personal lives of, of you guys. You know, and I know that you and Bill both you know were dealing with your your mom's being sick, and I know there were some other issues as well. Can can I ask like how how's your mom doing?
0: She's hanging in there. She's doing some chemo right now, um, which is making her real sick. She's been sick since I was a kid. You know, she's been pretty ill my whole life. I'm no no stranger to hanging around hospitals and and being in that kind of environment and, and being with somebody through many, many years of, of bad news and, and doctors and just, it's not fun. You know, just, you're just trying to live your life and, and, and your brain is is okay. And you want to live a normal life, life like everyone else, but your body's just not cooperating really. Yeah. And it's sad, you know, it's just, um, I just, I feel bad, but, but man, she's, she's a trooper. She's just, she's more than a trooper, you know? She's the strongest person I know. I always feel like if I were to dip my pinky toe into uh, an ounce of the pain that she deals with on a daily basis, uh, my knees would buckle, you know? Yeah. She just, she just goes, you know? She went to the movies the other day, just sat there, watched three movies in a row by herself, you know, and she lives in this crazy apartment building, you know, a couple of years ago during the making of uh, Once More Around the Sun, she, was getting up on a chair for some reason and she fell off and cracked her skull open and had this really bad brain hemorrhage and ended up being in a coma for like a month. And, uh, I was like, you know, uh, and it's taken her a couple years to kind of come back from that. But then they found some stuff in her lungs and it's just, if it's not one thing, it's two things or three things or four things with her. and And I just, I wish that, that the universe would give her a break, you yeah. know but it doesn't seem to want to you know some people it just it just dumps on them you know but there's 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 so much to be said for the human spirit you know and 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 people that are able to weather such horrible circumstances and and get up and dust it off and keep on rolling you know i don't I just I feel like I would probably give up, but but then once you're faced with those circumstances, you find out that you probably wouldn't, you know? Yeah. Because anything's better than being smothered in dirt. It turns out.
1: (laughs) It's the human spirit keeps pushing forward. I mean, like with you know, you've obviously have written a lot about you know your personal life and things that have happened to you. You know, you mentioned your sister, and of course, the record cracked the sky. You know, you write about that and. You know, Emperor of Sand seems like a personal record for everyone in Mastodon. You know, there's that cliche about how when you write about your life, there's a cathartic feeling to it. I mean, is that true? Or, like, what do you feel like is the purpose of writing about stuff like this and putting it into your art?
0: I think it's not really that cathartic. You know, I don't feel any different, you know, the day after. But I feel like it helps get through those maybe harder situations you know there's things when there's times when things are right there on the surface and then there's times where you got some things that are kind of buried deep within like you should do <laughs> but uh uh i think it it opens up the conversation between people and and it it gives the band and the music that we're creating uh a bigger and better relationship with the fans and with with the people that and that's why we're here, you know, like I said earlier, you know, it's a, a, I feel strongly about the um, relationship between us and our, and our fans, and and finding out through Crack the Sky that that our music was actually helping, and, and that was a wonderful feeling, you know what I mean, I always want to help, you know, we always want to help our fellow human beings, and uh, anything we can do, you know, so if it takes sharing a little bit of Tragedy and trying our hardest to turn it into a beautiful, something beautiful, and also honoring our our loved ones who are either too sick or 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 uh, have passed away and aren't able to be here to experience uh, this beautiful place. You know, we owe it to them to put everything that we have into it. You know. Yeah. Well.
1: I'll say this for Emperor of Sand. It's a heavy record emotionally and musically, but it's also a beautiful record. It's catchy. It's a great rock record, but it's got a lot of emotional heft to it. So congratulations on making this record. I think it turned out great. And uh, best Thank of luck with much. it. Uh, well, Thank hey, you very Thank you. Thanks again, Bron, for, for talking with us. Uh, take it easy, man.
0: No problem. You too, man.
1: All right, take care. All right, that was Bron Daler of Mastodon great interview. I love talking with him. I love that band. I hope if you're not a fan of Mastodon that you are inspired to check them out. If you are a fan of Mastodon, I'm curious whether you like this record. seems to be getting a good response, but you know, hardcore metal people, they can be a a tough group to satisfy. (laughs) So (laughs) curious to see what they think of it. Um, Also, you know, I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. I mean, looking ahead, we may be doing two episodes a week more often uh, You know, a lot of times in the past if we had two interviews that we wanted to run in a week we would package them into one episode but it seems better maybe to break them up into two episodes it's a little more digestible and maybe if you like one thing and you don't like the other thing you can kind of pick and choose what you're into um, so let me know about that if you want to come to the Celebration Rock Twitter page it's it's just tw- it's a sell-a-rock pod. Come there and let me know what you think if you like the two episodes a week deal and all that stuff. Um, otherwise, guys, it's been great again talking at you. And uh, I really appreciate your support. And uh, we will talk to you again next week.